0: Hello, you're listening to a podcast of the best bits of breakfasters for this week, ending Friday the first of December. We're on Triple R every weekday morning from 6 till 9 a.m., broadcast live from Melbourne, Australia. Coming up on the podcast this week, Nat got a flat tire, didn't know how to change it. And we're joined by Lisa Palmer, the CEO of Wildlife Victoria, telling us how we can help wildlife this summer.
1: Simone Ubaldi reviewed Bottoms, a teen comedy centred around a fight club. Password security questions sent me into an existential spiral. And linguist Kate Burridge spoke on the words that helped to wrongly convict Kathleen Folbig.
2: Fee Wright reviews Scenes From My Life, the best-selling memoir by Michael K. Williams. And comedian Matt Stewart rounds out the week as he enters a confronting new phase.
3: Melbourne's Own. Triple R.
1: I got a flat tyre on my car last week. I dipped into a giant pothole which completely popped the tyre. Now, obviously, getting a flat tyre is never what you want, but the scenario that I got the flat tyre in was particularly fraught I was booked to be in an ad. That's why I was away last Mm -hmm. week. And so I... It wasn't for Amy, was it? (laughs) 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 It was, no. (laughs) And I was sorted. End of story. (laughs) No, so I had to drive down to the Mornington Peninsula really early in the morning to get to the location where we were filming. I was on a back road that I wasn't familiar with a country-style road, let's raise the stakes, and I, yeah, it was the first day of the job. It was a two-day shoot and I hadn't met anyone. So I I was obviously a little bit nervous Mm. as well, was looking like I needed to make a right turn, was maybe a little bit late to it, indicated, turned, and as I turned onto this kind of country road, I saw this massive pothole to the left, kind of did a slight swerve, but clipped it. And instantly felt the shudder of the car. Initially, I thought maybe I wasn't in the right gear because yeah. I was manual. Manual. Car. So I was like, God, how have I done that? I've slipped into the wrong gear. And I kind of bunny hopped along for a bit, not bunny hopped, but kind of shuddered along, crawled along, and then quickly indicated and saw it was, yeah, completely flat. Like I was on like the steel part of oh God. Oh. the frame. It, it was really, um, it was really gone. And I am disappointed to report I don't know how to change a tyre. So, this was like pre 6 a.m. Oh. Yes. Yeah, so, apparently, yeah, I don't have that essential skill. I went hunting around for some basic statistics. The most recent I could find was from 2017. Apparently, two out of five Australians don't know how to change a tyre. How do you two go?
0: I. I never have. I think I learnt when I first got my license mm-hmm. and then just have never done it. So I I would say I don't know how.
1: Yes, okay. Be.
2: I've learned and uh but I've not been I've been with people who have put up their hand and taken the responsibility.
1: Never had to yeah. never had to to do it out in the wild on the road. I know because I've been watching YouTube videos of it now, but I'm like how do how do I practice, I guess. It's yeah. like Oh yeah, go G- Gabriel's toy cars or my yeah, niece's yeah. cars. And All right, here we go. Let's chuck it up. Let's mm-hmm. do it. When you go hunting for statistics, you find some pretty like. Um, there's just a lot of scathing articles on young people as well. Data from the Driver Safety Australia also showed that one in every eight drivers, to age 18 to 25, don't know where the spare tire is stored. And half of the young drivers in the survey didn't know how to add coolant or how to fill up their window washers. Oh, that is an annoying task. I actually don't know where that is in my car. Well, I, yeah,
0: I don't know where it is in your car, but I mean, in my car and cars I've driven before, it's always been under the... You just open open up the hood, it's in there. It's got a little little water wiper picture on it. Yeah. But it takes ages. My might take so long to fill up. Really? Yeah. Anyway, this is uh, that's all I've got to add to it, but it's but it's so satisfying because you know when you get into the car oh. and you think oh, a bit dirty, and then you put the windscreen wipers on. There's no water in there, mm. and it makes that horrible <sighs> noise. And then when you fill it up, even if even better if you put in a little bit of
1: window cleaner. Ooh, Ooh. Oh, bit of I love it. God, I was mean, cleaning that windscreen <gasps> all day. I think all of this should be added to the driver's test potentially. Yes, that you know maybe you do. They do a bit of a scenario where you're, like, doing the reverse parallel park and then someone, like, shoves a witch's hat under the tyre and it goes Ah. down They kind of simulate, like, a scenario. Do defensive driving
0: courses teach you that kind of stuff or is that just about driving in difficult scenarios?
1: I imagine. I think it's... Uh,
2: uh, Defensive driving is just defensive driving. Uh, Do you mean...
0: Like, as in, could you get an add-on, like book a defensive driving course for an extra 50 bucks, we'll Ah. teach you how to... I think if you're doing a
2: defensive driving course, you're way beyond changing a tyre. You're a a very good driver Uh. and potentially police officer who's upskilling.
0: We got, we we'll, we'll one of those. The yeah. a, of course they are. As a yes. red balloon voucher for Christmas <laughs> once, and then never did it, and it expired. Yeah. So our our driving is purely offensive. Uh,
1: <laughs> I remember a friend doing one, and she said that they like hosed down. It was like it maybe like an airport hangar or something like that. Mm. This back area, and they hosed down the pavement and was like teaching oh, them fun. how to skid out. I mean, well, I think and things like that. The modern order.
2: problem, as far as I can tell, is that new cars don't. Often have a tire that matches the other three tires, so mm. the, to save space, the spare tire is smaller, mm. oh, tiny, and therefore you're driving. You know, you're only supposed to go eighty ks or something max, and if you're doing a road trip, you know, it's just difficult. I don't, I'm, I don't know when that came in as a. Standard mm. that the spare tire is like small, conspicuously comically. It's small. actually, it's actually <laughs> it from a bicycle,
1: <laughs> it so actually cool. is. I'm like driving on an angle, like, yeah, because I've got the spare on at the moment. And but yes, that is the next task I need to do is to get the original tire repaired because you really shouldn't be driving around on them.
0: You can go, yeah, well, so I, um, when I was in Italy a few years ago driving in Italy can be hairy Mm -hmm. and I was driving and obviously for us it's on the the wrong side of the road and these narrow winding streets and coming towards me was a van on they were driving on the wrong side of the road because they'd been overtaking someone yeah so they were coming towards me and this was driving this is like near Mm Siena and there's no shoulder so there's you know how we're used to having like bike lanes and a bit of anyway so it was kind of like just two lanes and then a Quite a high curb and these windy roads, and a van was coming towards me. (laughs) So I swerved to move away from it and hit the curb, and the tire (gasps) popped just this straight away. And I was like, Oh, I wasn't sure if that's and kept driving. Then it was like, Oh, you realize, oh no, something's happened. And Will was like, Oh, I pull over. He's like, The tire's gone. And I was like, You know, you're obviously a bit rattled after that. And it's this essentially like a Not a highway, but a main road to get from one town to another. And I was like, I'm just going to – I can't pull over. There's nowhere to pull over. Mm -hmm. I'll just pull into the first sort of driveway I see. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, there's something up there. Oh, my God, fantastic. Um, I'll just pull in there. It could be a restaurant, could be a hotel, whatever. I don't mind. I'll pull in. Pulled in. The first place that we saw like 200 metres after getting – you know, having this event where the tyre popped was a tyre repair shop. (laughs)
2: Right, because they know it.
0: I have no idea. Well, it
2: it must happen all the time.
0: I've got all... I just was like, what? Because at first I thought, oh, my God, petrol station, fantastic. And then I realised then we pulled in and I I pulled in and there was just literally this wall of (laughs) tyres.
1: And and then you see the van that drove at you and made you a little payoff in there.
0: And I was just like, this is what just went from the worst situation. How lucky. We could have been in the middle of nowhere, but we've pulled in and... I speak about four words of Italian, and I was but so none. I don't speak it, but I was just trying to communicate. And this mechanic comes out with this siggy hanging out of his mouth, and he's we're trying. He's gesticulating, trying to figure out what happened. And we point to the tire, and he's like, oh, uh. throws, throws his hands in the air, and then he gets what looks like maybe his mum from inside. She comes out with the siggy hanging out of her mouth, <laughs> and they both come out and they crouch down next to the car. And they anyway, they change the tire, and they fight. They get the spare, and it is it's one of those little spares. Uh, yep, and. It says 80 k's. That's the limit on it. And he's like 100, 120. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. But 150, too fast.
1: (laughs) Like I'm not driving 150 k's. On the wrong side of the road.
2: But now that's like a joyous story. It is. It's like I just felt so lucky. I admire you sounding or being optimistic and as though you've encountered serendipity, whereas... I'm so cynical. It's just, like it's like a window repair person standing next in front of a broken window with a brick saying,
4: yeah. oh,
2: you're so lucky I'm here. Triple <laughs> R. What a treat to be joined this week for Feature Creatures by the CEO of Wildlife Victoria, Lisa Palmer. Morning, Lisa.
5: Morning, Daniel.
2: Tell us about your extensive
5: background sure so i'm the ceo of wildlife victoria which means um i need to be across all sorts of things like risk finance people technology animals um but had a corporate career for around 30 years and um also uh, during that time started rescuing wildlife as a Wildlife Victoria volunteer and for over 10 years I have rescued and saved hundreds of lives of all sorts of species and I also run a wildlife shelter so I was up super early this morning (laughs) feeding a uh, nestling butcher bird that I have in care, a nestling magpie and a bunch of possums. Wow. (laughs) So as a volunteer what happens? You get the call and what do they say? Yeah, So Wildlife Victoria's got volunteers all over the state and around 70% of our calls come from metropolitan areas, mostly metropolitan Melbourne. Um, So what will happen is a member of public will ring Wildlife Victoria on 8400 7300 which is 24-7 every day uh, every day of the year and um, one of our emergency response operators will um, triage that call. So as the caller they will ask you, you know, what animal um, you're looking at, you know, what's the situation um, may dispense advice if it's, you know, this is normal behaviour and it's okay to leave it alone, but in most instances, <clears throat> will dispatch a trained wildlife rescue volunteer. Uh, that volunteer will uh, go to the scene, um, in most cases will rescue the animal, uh, get it veterinary assistance, and if the animal's cleared to go into care, it will go into care with another volunteer of ours who will be a wildlife rehabilitator, who will rehabilitate that animal and eventually release it back to the wild. Am
2: I reading this correctly? 18,424 reports... In a month?
5: Yeah, that's about right. Wow. And what, do they have a pattern? They, there is a pattern. So at Wildlife Victoria, our busiest time is spring. And the reason being, in spring, all of our wildlife are having their young so this spring has been absolutely crazy because what we've had this year is a 50% increase in calls into Mm. our emergency response service compared to last spring and when we look at why there's two key reasons the first is we've had the highest mean average temperature for spring uh, in many many years it doesn't feel like it today but we had a pretty warm start to spring this year so what we saw is our wildlife uh, when the temperature gets to a certain level think right oh it's springtime it's time to have my babies and uh, we had a lot of young being born about a month earlier than normal Uh, then of course what we've had this spring is pretty uh, variable temperatures we've already had fire we've had floods we've had cold snaps we've had high winds we've had heat and at this time of year our wildlife are particularly vulnerable because they're very young. So the number of orphaned animals we've had to respond to has been astronomical. The second reason um, is because of us humans. It's really up to a human to pick up the phone and call Wildlife Victoria. So while operationally um, it's been really busy for us responding to so many animals needing our help, um, on on the other hand, I'm thrilled that members of the public care so much and care enough to pick up the phone and call us for help do you have any tips or things that we should look out for if we do come across
1: like an injured animal a a deserted like young um, animal i guess because i know with some species it's like imperative that you don't touch Mm. them or
5: engage with them Mm. the main thing is um if If anyone sees an animal that's behaving abnormally, mm. and a really good example is nocturnal animals like possums, ringtail possums, and brushtail possums that you see out during the day. If a possum is out during daylight, there's something seriously wrong. so that was that would be an example. If you see, Um, you know birds that would normally be flying um, they're adults and they might be sitting on the ground and not moving or there's a wing displaced you know they may have a broken wing so understanding what wildlife are living in our backyard and Wildlife Victoria have got a heap of fact sheets on all species uh, on our website um, and also signs of what to look out for but typically it's abnormal behaviour and there's certain things we need to look out for in summer as well around heat stress.
2: Alright, well tell us about summer as we approach it. It's imminent, in fact it's Practically tomorrow. So <laughs> how does that yeah. affect wildlife Victoria and what should we be looking out for?
5: Yeah, summer's are a really challenging time for our wildlife and we've been lucky the last few summers that they've been quite mild. But this summer and the next one, the outlook's looking pretty grim. Um, and certainly the highest temperatures are expected this summer and the one after um, that we've seen for many years. And we've all got memories of 2019 and 2020 when we had extreme heat and bushfires so uh, this summer um, the things to look out for are heat stress so um, different species will behave differently and present differently with heat stress so a heat stressed bird um, will typically present on the ground with its beak open and its wings out Um, A heat stress possum um, will often present on the ground, very lethargic, um, sometimes sort of wet around the face and very disoriented. A kangaroo or wallaby um, that's heat stressed will present again as quite lethargic, often with wet forearms um, Mm. where they've been licking their forearms. Um, Is that to keep cool? Yeah, that's right. So uh, it depends on the species. And again, there's fact sheets on, on Wildlife Victoria's website for heat stress. But typically... Um, animals that that are on the ground, uh, looking disoriented, looking um, very lethargic, um, is something of, of serious concern. And so, people
0: summer. can call Wildlife Victoria, but also maybe as a preventative measure, or in in the while they're waiting, can they? Do you put water out for animals? Do you, what do you do? Do you move them? You're not going to be picking up them pick him up and put him to shade I imagine
5: you might it you might. depends so and, and look that's a, that's really the key message for everyone listening out there is um, the future of our wildlife is in our hands yeah. it's up to us humans so during summer absolutely everyone listening out there in your backyard or your balcony um, please put out some water Um, And what we do recommend is um, sort of a a dish on the ground with um, some sticks and stones in it so little tiny creatures don't drown if they're coming for a drink. Um, Making sure there's shade in your garden um, and putting the water in shade. You'll be amazed if you do that and look outside your window or or onto your balcony and and you'll see um, the animals absolutely taking advantage of that. And planting native trees or shrubs on your balconies or gardens because that's food for our wildlife. It's shelter for them. It's protection. Um and even um you know, with your hose um finely misting, um even some some, you know, low foliage in your tree canopies and things like that will what, save lives.
0: And what about pet owners? Because people have dogs and I know cats are uh, the enemy of native species, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what can pet owners do?
5: Yes, yeah, so pet owners, um, if there is wildlife in the garden that are looking in trouble or very hate stressed keep the pets inside. And at Wildlife Victoria, we love animals and we've all got pets too, um, but it's very important to understand that they are predators for our wildlife. And, and when wildlife are severely hate stressed um, they're going to be very slow to respond Um, they're going to be slow to to escape a predator, so they're particularly at risk. Mm.
2: Looking at your wildlife activity map on the Wildlife Victoria website, it's Mm. quite an extraordinary live document. And you can tell some things about the city because there are icons of different animals and where they are. And just to pluck one out, I'm looking at the black swans at Albert Park. Mm. Now, why are you getting calls
5: about that for instance dog attacks typically right yeah Mm. dog attacks so when we um, when we have uh, wildlife um, uh, you know in parks and gardens and waterways uh, very important to have your dog under control so unfortunately dog attacks are, are quite common in the city What about the tawny frogmouth in Burwood? (laughs) (laughs) Don't know that particular case. You don't know uh, all off by (laughs) But I can tell you a lot about tawny frogmouths and a very common reason that they're called into us is rodenticide poisoning. So tawny frogmouths are a nocturnal bird. Uh, They are a a raptor. Uh, So what that means is they will... And their natural diet is things like um, small mice. So, uh, people that are putting things like rat sac out um, for rats and mice, um, uh, a tawny frog mouth ingesting one of those uh, will get secondary poisoning and will present often on the ground lethargic and sadly um, often need euthanasia. All
2: right. Mm. And what might the bare wombats in Warrandite be facing?
5: Oh, well, a very common thing with wombats, uh, two things, is mange. Uh, so mange is a very serious um, um, mite that impacts uh, wombats um, and they do present um, eventually going blind but very crusty skin um open wounds and things like that but hit by cars Mm. Um, so not even knowing that case i would guarantee in Warrandite, being a wombat it's probably a hit by car case do you have a favorite animal (laughs) Uh, i get asked that a lot and um I don't because they're all so completely unique. I knew you'd say that. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I love my flying foxes, my wallabies, kangaroos, and because I've always been a multi-species responder, I have absolute respect for, for each and every one and they're all really unique. Do you get any calls that are f- f- vexatious
2: or frivolous? Or We do. Mm.
5: <laughs> we do and... and, and um You know, sometimes they are interesting because we're dealing with the general public. So you never know what's going to be on the other side of the phone. And as a rescuer, when you're responding, you're often going to someone's house and you're just not sure what you're going to to come up with so during the holiday season um, a lot of intoxicated members of public (laughs) um, that we have to get called to 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 rescue animals that might be in backyards and no one's able to drive Um, but we had a really interesting case a couple of years ago where a member of public rang several times because um, She felt that the noise that her neighbour was making was upsetting the possums and birds. Um, And, um, yeah, that was an interesting one. (laughs) It sounds sounds like there's more
2: to that.
4: Yes. Uh
5: <laughs> All right. Well, Lisa Palmer
2: is CEO of Wildlife Victoria. The website for Wildlife Victoria is wildlifevictoria.org.au. The web form service is monitored seven days a week from 6 30 in the morning to 8 30 at night. And you get a call back?
5: Uh, no, actually, 24 7. I must, I must oh, fix update so,
2: the information there. Yeah.
5: So, so what happens is um, we've got two methods uh, for people to report cases to us by phone, and that's the most common thing, and uh, also to lodge a web case. Um, most people, because they're dealing with an animal that's injured or sick or has been hit by a car, are quite distressed, mm-hmm. uh, so like to pick up the phone and call us. But we're there 24-7, so whether it's 2.30am, 4am, lunchtime, Christmas Day, we're going to be there. you got the
2: tog- frogmouths back at 20... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For, okay, uh, 84007300 is the number. And Lisa Palmer is the CEO of Wildlife Victoria. Thanks very much, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Triple R
0: on FM, digital, online and via the app.
6: Thanks so much for being here. It means a lot.
2: Cinephile Simone Ubalde joins us, as she does on a Thursday, talk screen stuff. Morning, Simone. Bum, 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 bum. Good morning. Now, this movie that you're going to talk about seems fun. It is fun.
7: Mm. I was going to go and see Napoleon and then I couldn't. <laughs> Have you guys seen uh, articles floating around about why, why do they keep me making movies so long when we're all addicted to short-form video content? Mm. Point of difference? Weird torture. No, it's something to do with, I don't know. Is it because it's
0: what the filmmakers want to do?
7: I think a lot of the time it's what the filmmakers want to do, but somebody should rein them in. Mm. Anyway, that's why I didn't go and see Napoleon. I couldn't do two and a half hours this week. But Bottoms is this movie that's kind of sprung up out of Nowhere, in the vein of it's not it's it's not on the level in terms of the technical achievement and the but maybe on, in terms of the heart. Do you remember when everything everywhere all at once started opening and then just got bigger and bigger and bigger and snowballed? Mm-hmm. I don't think that well quite had to feel like best Oscar trajectory with bottoms, but it's definitely one of those little movies that could. It is uh, written and directed by a woman called Emma Seligman uh, with her best friend best creative partner, Rachel Sennott, who were responsible for Shiva Baby, which is a little American indie, very New York Jewish indie that came out a couple of years ago. Um, Bottoms is a camp raucous uh, film about two lesbian besties who form a fight club in their school uh, with the secret ambition to have sex with cheerleaders but inadvertently become a sort of uh, place for uh, feminist empowerment and girls supporting each other. And then there's like a massive bloody punch on at the end. Um, It is is just incredibly funny. Mm -hmm. It's so so funny. The two best friends play by Rachel Sennott who was the star of Shiva Baby um, and Ayo Edebiri. Ayo is the sous chef, the terminology is incorrect, from oh, The Bear.
0: She's awesome.
7: She's so amazing. She was recently in theatre camp. Um, so she and Rachel are, are quite accomplished gigging comedians from the kind of alt comedy scene around New York and I have not personally been Uh, I haven't seen it. I've just been reading about it. I suspect they've got quite a big underground following. Like Rachel, um, she has done lots of things on kind of Instagram and Twitter. She was like a bit like big on Twitter and then pivoted to live comedy on Instagram uh, during the pandemic. And um, I suspect they have quite big followings and are quite cult figures. They are – the chemistry is amazing between these two on stage and the writing is incredible. So – you have this wonderful cast. Like, everyone is amazing. I feel like Gen Z are going to know. There's, like, some supermodel in it called Kaya Gerba. There's a former um, NFL footballer called Marshall LaVaughn or something similar. Um, playing a teacher or something? Playing or? a teacher. Uh, uh, and it's, like, absolutely beautiful, incredibly, I mean, really beautiful. Like, if you want to watch a movie that's riddled with hot lesbians, this is... <laughs> top of the list um beautiful but all incredibly funny and all like everyone is flying in the same direction in terms of the tone of the comedy which is super quick kind of gen z goofy um but also quite naturalistic but also pays this like beautiful homage to what i have just learned it's called like y2k10 comedies so if you think about like bring it on or um, Can't Hardly Wait, like, to my mind, <laughs> the golden era of American <laughs> comedies. Um, there's, there's like, lots of resonance. There's a really pivotal scene in the movie where Josie and PJ, the two best friends, have a falling out because um, one of them hooks up with a cheerleader and the other one doesn't. And uh, the whole kind of uh, emotional contemplation scene is set to, like, complicated by Avril Lavigne. <laughs> so there's, like, really beautiful generational threads in the movie. But... It's just really funny. Mm. It's just really, really, really funny. And so
2: it's not an essay in any way? It doesn't beat you over the head with nope. I- anything?
7: It's nope. self-aware? Yep. Cool. I'm 45 years old and I have very low tolerance for being lectured to by Gen Z people about the right ways of thinking in this world. <laughs> in, case you had, in case you guys had to figure that out <laughs> over the years, um, there is none of that. Like you want to be friends with all these wow. people. These people are all delightful whip smart uh so incredibly talented you know beautiful best wardrobe uh, incredible wardrobe
1: it's making me think of um sex education maybe
7: sex education feels like it's written by older people for younger okay. people is my fear? i enjoy yes. it mm-hmm. but it definitely feels like it has a lens of a, a of a kind of gen x or, or kind mm-hmm. of millennial mm-hmm. whereas this, this just feels so fresh And just so made for its audience. Apparently, just for like a tidbit other than go see this great movie, it's really going to make you smile. Um, Apparently the girls, you know, like the fact that it's about two lesbians and their raging hormones um, apparently is still problematic in 2023 America and they had lots of closed doors.
0: This film? Yeah. Because there are lesbians in it?
7: Because the story is about two lesbians who are trying to lose their virginity and it's very sex positive. Mm. Um, yeah, apparently they were like they couldn't even, having had a, quite a successful Indian Shiva baby, really couldn't get in the door with lots of executives, and ultimately signed them with Orion the Pictures and Elizabeth Banks who made Cocaine Bear, um, so they found their champions, and it premiered at South by Southwest. But yeah, that is still wow. that is still going on in the world.
2: It's interesting, I suppose, also that the cast, or if it's set in a high school, they'll that'll be younger than the original Fight Club itself.
7: Yeah. Yeah, well, just born just before. But, you know, things are in the culture, right? Um, and they. And, and how much.
2: How central is Fight Club? Because it looks like a. Par- the trailer, which I saw at the movie, is. It looks almost like a. A parody of Fight Club. Well, yeah, or a, it's a not... deep extension of it.
7: It is not. It is like. uh. It is like. There are just. Like. Young line. women embracing the ability to punch on Life Fight Club yeah. and the joy and release in those scenes of, okay, they weren't really joyful in Fight Club, but every parody of Fight Club that's come since then where there's been like this joyful release in Punching, which I think is going to be a trillion guy movies, it's just... A bunch of women doing it. They,
0: these movies are rare now. I feel. I feel like just good, just a good comedy that you go into. It's ninety minutes. You come out of. Yeah. It's hard to find. Yeah. Mm.
7: Right. It's a good teen flick. I well. know, and you know, it's again, it's had this kind of weird. It's, it's it's screening at kind of indie cinemas here. It's had this weird kind of staggered rollout, opening in a handful of cinemas uh, in America and then expanding out to like one thousand plus screens. Um, it has not been on my radar when I was sort of. Uh, so I suspect Warner's added it quite late to the calendar, um, and it only premiered itself by in March of this year. So it's 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 a fairly quick and kind of expanding rollout. I suspect it's going to be on streaming fairly quickly. But you know, oh my God, it was such a pleasure to sit in a movie theater with a whole bunch of people just laughing.
1: Oh, how joyous. I want to go see it. So
7: good. Today. today. It's our today, isn't it?
4: Yeah.
7: Well, that's right. It's our today. Oh, goodness. oh okay. Yeah. Terrific. And as we are, I've heard a couple of younger people who have previously said to me, I'm, I don't watch, I don't go to the cinema. <gasps> I don't want to sit with a bunch of people and like listen no. to them eat popcorn. Oh. And I can't check my phone. And, you know, other things that Gen Z people say about. No, I'm Gen X. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but they're all like, yeah. I, like one of one of my band members that I managed said to me last night, he's like, "I, I need to get I need to get into the cinema more. It's really good."
0: Oh yay! And this is Welcome. a movie.
7: I mean, on the top, on the off the back of Oppenheimer and or Barbieheimer, um, people talking about this cinema renaissance and people going back. This is a good way to kind of keep that keep that vibe going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the session of Saltburn I saw on Tuesday and it was packed. And that's the sort of
2: movie you want to see with a lot of people, a lot of strangers, really.
7: Yeah, anything that that makes you laugh in this grim world. Um, So, yeah, that is my gift to you guys at the end of the uh, season as I'm dipping out for the rest of the year, sadly. Mm. But um, so I'm going to say goodbye to you and all your listeners prematurely. Um, but thanks for a good one.
0: Oh, well, oh thank you Simone, for a great
2: one. Yeah. Oh, I'm not quite prepared to say goodbye, so I might okay, just skip well, Daniel said <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. you're stuck. coming yeah. back and <laughs> <laughs> <I> week. <swear. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> care the plan,
0: plan. <laughs> uh,
2: So Bottoms, Emma Seligman. <laughs>
7: yes. Beautiful. Emma Seligman, Rachel Senot, Ayo Edabiri, stars. Out today. Yeah. Bottoms, Simone Baldi. thank you for everything. Thanks, guys. Triple R.
1: I'm currently uh, in the middle of the process of renewing my passport, which is exciting. It's a once in a decade opportunity Mm. to get a better photo. Oh, yes. So I tried to do it earlier in the year with my license photo. I was determined to like glam up and get a really great shot. Didn't quite work out because there was no lines at the Vic Rhodes office. I was caught off guard. I had planned to glow up in the bathroom. Anyway. Oh, you walked straight in. Yeah, I went no, in, no. Uh, put in the paperwork and they asked me to wait over there. And I had like the makeup bag in the backpack ready to roll. And they're like, Natalie, we'll see you now. <gasps> Click. <laughs> no. Anyway, it wasn't too bad, but I have high hopes for the passport. If I feel like it's rare that you come across anyone who's happy with their passport photo. I or think, either of you? Uh, not my
0: current one. I think my previous one I didn't mind.
1: Okay, fantastic. Yeah, thank you.
0: We'll pull it out of
1: a drawer if it's still around. Take a look. Yeah. If you've got any notes for me, I'd love to hear.
0: Yeah, maybe um, B19 I think okay. is the rule. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Travel back in time. <laughs> Excellent. But the process of renewing the passport is all online. So obviously I had to set up an account with the obvious like username and password. Obviously passwords are very necessary, but they're getting to a point. Like they're a massive hassle, a massive thing that is a part of all of our lives, remembering them, changing them. They're just getting incredibly long. Mine is, I I think – getting up to what 20. It? Yeah, it is uh Nat Claire 2021. <laughs> Text in if you want my credit card details as well and expiry date. Now, it's getting up there over 20 20 digits. I feel like it's or characters. It's it's getting close to a diary entry. And not only did I have to create the password, obviously, then they I had to select three security questions in case you need to recover mm. your password. Um And I feel like security questions are tricky because they've got to kind of have lots of different qualities. They've got to be like really precise and obvious, simple, like easy to recall, but obviously can't be too, too obvious, I guess. Mm. And unique to you i feel like
0: do you write the security questions or you select them from a drop down yes you're not inventing your own security questions.
1: no you're not inventing your own but i feel like they're an in in an interesting spot as we go more and more online we have more passwords and online accounts and so they kind of have to move away from the really obvious ones like your mum's maiden name how many siblings mm. you know your um pet's name yeah exactly so they're trying to fight like make it more difficult for people to pick the information but also kind of make it easy to recall mm. and I really felt that from the questions that I was given to choose from when um, picking the questions and they kind of sent me into a bit of an existential spin so I'll share the first question mm. that kind of stumped me a little bit was um, where is it what city or country would you want to retire in? That's yeah. a security question? Yeah. Like that's huge. That raises a changes. lot of things for me. Who's it saying... should never be a
2: question about favourite or preferred. Uh, opinion. Yeah. No. That changes it it should be a all fact. Time.
1: City or country, you want to retire. Who's saying you're... Mm. Will I ever retire is that's my first true. question. What's that like? Can I retire now? Can I retire early?
0: Can I retire from this process?
1: Yeah. Secondly, what two... movie have I just watched? You know, <laughs> have I just watched Under the Tuscan Sun while having a couple of wines? And then that will change your answer. Vicky mm. Cristina Barcelona. Maybe I'm retiring in Spain after watching that. I just watched Saltburn. It was set in an incredible castle in the British countryside. retire
2: in the 1920s. Hmm.
1: <laughs> Can I time travel? I'll retire there. That is, um, uh, that's
0: funny that they've chosen that. Isn't I... that? Yeah. Is it, it because in it 2003
2: related... my answer was Fukushima? And then, <laughs> <Exactly>. you know.
0: <laughs> It's because it's related to passports, so it's like, would we
1: all love to oh, travel?
2: Wetting yeah. the appetite, that's mm. true, getting you excited for the form filling, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. wetting your appetite, yeah. But it's like uh, where I want to re- retire versus where I probably will, like all mm. my family's in Melbourne, you know, practically, logistically. And this is the process
0: that you're going through. Filling out the form, selecting it. So it's a long long day for you.
1: It's been on my mind all weekend. Where do I want to retire? The next prompt, so I was like, okay, no, too tricky because I feel like the answer should just come to you instantly. The second prompt was um, what colour, the name, not name, the colour of your first car, which seems straightforward. Just got my new car. I've been banging on about it a lot. But it's one of those tricky colours where it's kind of blue in the light, grey in the In the dark. Is it teal? Who knows? It's not teal. Again, so am I answering this question in the day or the night? Too many variables. Can't choose that one either. I guess
0: what this is, is that you just pick an answer that you use regardless. Like you're just always going to say red or something. Okay.
1: But I don't trust myself to but remember then you, then that. But then there's something
0: to remember, right? The whole idea of a security question is it's not something you have to remember. You just know it like also, your mum's maiden.
1: As
2: security questions go, I mean, A, it's for the car one. It's like what, maybe if you're gifted a car but then after you buy a car you feel more of an attachment to the one you bought and you can't remember what car exactly. you believed is your first car. And mm. then there, there aren't that many primary colours, you know, yeah, as far true. as security goes. I mean, I'd put, if I was a scammer, I'd write white.
0: You'd write white? Because you think it's a safe bit?
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah, okay. Okay. I'd go blue. Oh, what no. colour would you go, Mon? Mm. It's like up. I mean, i try them all. So you don't get yeah. that
2: many. <laughs> I'm a scammer, so I'm a, I can sit here all I'd day. I'd go champagne. <laughs> <laughs> mm.
1: the, the third question that stumped me was uh, what's your favourite book? It's oh, like, yeah. Are we on a date now? And it's like, am I on you a give, date with
0: Default? Do you give your real answer or do you give the one that you give to impress people? Exactly. Like, do you say that it's Babysitters Club <laughs> or do you say that it's Born and Raised? Um, so what's exactly. that stupid? Long one? Infinite Jest. Infinite, Infinite Jest
1: <laughs> or War on Peace. Exactly. My first impulse was to start typing in, oh, I should read more. Yeah. Oh, no, My favourite book is any book I finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah it and out. it's the same. It's like, am I trying to impress you? Oh, okay, Yes, yeah, something, <laughs> I don't know, like Infinite Jest or probably oh. i just write Chamber of Secrets. Great. So, yeah, I feel like it's a slippery slope. The, the fourth question was the hospital you were born at. Oh yeah, side. I can't okay. kind of, I actually couldn't remember. I know the suburb.
0: That's kind of on your passport, right? Because like it says, born in like mine says Fitzroy because that's where the hospital was. Do you
2: mm. know? If I was a scammer, that'd be so easy to find out. Yeah, totally. Or get, at least have an educated guess. Mm. I don't know. Why can't we write our own questions? But like, what snack did you drop all over your shirt when <laughs> Sam Kerr scored a World Cup goal in the semi-final? Yeah, like, I know it was a sausage roll.
1: <laughs> no one else knows. No. That. Who threw a remote at your head when you were twelve? Yeah, maybe my cousin. Because it can't go
0: through a. It can't go through like a bot or something or it's too there's too much room for error you could have spelling errors in that question so that because i know i've been tripped up on a security question before where it was like what is it the your first the first street or something mm. and i was like did i write out street or did oh, i do I st that. and did i do a capital i was like a teacher and i was like did i call Ms or mrs or did i do, you know so there's too much room for error within the answer itself, let alone if you're letting people write the question because what if there's a typo Mm. in it?
2: My thing is the pet, it's like, oh, do I, you're going through this bureaucratic rigmarole and then suddenly you're thrown back in the sentimental nostalgia of a dead (laughs) beloved
1: pet. Sobbing at the computer (laughs) screen. Oh, Ben, I miss you so
4: much. (laughs) Oh,
1: Bluebell, (laughs) come back to me. I know what is the perfect question, I don't know, but I feel like we are sliding into the land of like dating prompts. Of like, what's your favourite hobby? Or Imagine if most on a embarrassing you with someone from done. The
0: passport office. That would be
2: <laughs> cool. Cool. The base of an SNL
1: sketch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm dating Dfat. <deep>
8: <laughs> Independently yours, Triple R. 102.7.
7: point
2: seven. We're talking words this morning with Professor of Linguistics at Monash University, Kate Burrage. Welcome back, Kate.
8: Thank you very much.
2: Uh, we would talking off air that we don't often hear the word wrongful outside the law.
8: <laughs> it's sort of fixed in that expression, isn't it? Wrongful conviction. Yeah, yeah.
2: and uh, that's come to your attention this morning.
8: Yes, well, uh, for a while now, in fact. Um, Stephen Cordner, the forensic pathologist involved in Mrs Folbig's case, Kathleen Folbig, uh, who was, I think, was it a couple of months ago now? She was pardoned and released after 20 years of being imprisoned. And uh, Stephen was always worried by the use of language in the, tri- during the trial and even in the inquiry after. So anyway, we partnered on this piece. For the conversation. For the conversation, yes, specifically looking at, well, two words, asphyxia. St- Stephen's always had a problem with the term asphyxia. Uh, and um, also consistent with, which in a way is an even more dangerous little phrase because it's, uh, you know, it's every day, it's kind of sneaks under the radar mm. undetected. Well, let's start with asphyxia. Where, why is that word murky? Well, it was murky right from the start really it, it entered English 1600s first appearance was sixteen ninety nine that's the earliest appearance I've been able to find anyway but it was you know it was a time when English was being stuffed full of highfalutin words bombastic words from Latin and Greek uh, at that time it meant um, stoppage of pulse and then it, it quickly um, sprouted the meaning stoppage of respiration, which is understandable given that you know lack of breath is kind of a pretty obvious sign of lifelessness. Mm. Then when you look at, you know, it gets even more murky when you come to modern times. Modern dictionaries, I suppose they list a number of senses, but they privilege the lack of respiration. But then they give synonyms like throttling, smothering, you know, stifling. And then if you look at Urban Dictionary, which I know has its problems, the crowdsourced. <laughs>
0: did not think I'd hear you reference Urban Dictionary in this segment, but go on. <laughs> it's,
8: a, it's, a, it's an interesting... Um, Exercise. Yeah, I mean, it's a great um, resource for tracking the social life of words and meanings, particularly those that you know haven't made it yet into mainstream dictionaries. So, if you, uh, I looked up fairly recently, and they'd taken out the medical definitions of asphyxia, which was interesting. They kept references to thrash metal bands and you know pornographic movie stars like Asphyxia Noir. But you know, <laughs> don't <laughs> underestimate thrash metal bands and pornographic movie stars no. to, to shape people's you know. Um, understanding understanding of this word yeah and then asphyxiate it very definitely throttling you know choking their definition in fact it was accompanied by a moving image of someone being throttled they've taken that down now but so I think it's pretty clear um I mean we of course we'll never know what was in the minds of the juror or the jurors but when you hear acute catastrophic asphyxiating event consistent with smothering um hundreds of times which was the case during the trial, um, you know, I th- 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 that, that meaning will dominate. Um, and there's a... Well, she, uh, so Kathleen, sorry, was
2: convicted 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So is it, to what degree do you think even the word asphyxia has evolved in the public mind for the jury that was there at the time? Oh, at
8: the time, I think it's been a while now. Right. It's been like that, yes, most certainly. Uh, even if you look at other online dictionaries, it's, it's clear that that meaning's been around. And also, you know, I've tracked word meanings for years now, and and, uh, and other linguists have pointed this too, that, you know, if there's one overriding um, sort of, I suppose, tendency with, with, you can only ever talk about tendency when it's language, mm. there are no laws of language, uh, is that, you know, words will become more abstract, more personal, more anchored in the sort of world of the speakers, But they and if there are any sort of negative senses hovering around, I mean, asphyxia was always negative, but, you know, the homicidal senses, Mm. um, they will swoop in and and dominate. It's called Gresham's Law of Semantic Change. Uh, Bad meanings drive out good. So bad, risque, dishonest senses will always dominate and quash other senses.
2: So here we have, in a courtroom, the word asphyxia being used it's got a medical definition, then we've got jurors who might have varying definitions in their own
8: mind mm-hmm. and then how could you possibly keep track of that? Exactly, and you've got consistent with. That's that's the slippery little one. And, look, people, um, you know, in fact, I think it was in the 1990s, Someone, Commissioner Kaufman, a, a Canadian, wrote quite a long piece, scathing, um, about the use of consistent with. Because if I were to say to you, I don't know catastrophic asphyxiating event consistent with smothering. You would probably understand equals. You know, it's it's pretty firm confirmation that there's a connection between those two, and that's how most people understand it. But in this context, it means well, it's a possibility. Probably, you know, that there are a lot of other other understandings. But that that understanding of consistent with meaning equaling, you know, confirmation Mm. of that that that. Connection uh, has been around also since the early 1600s. So you can't really expect jurors to suddenly misremember that that understanding you know, and, and see that this is just one of a number of possibilities.
0: Is it possible that this language was used because it's vague in nature, like it, to bamboozle to oh,
8: a I, jury or to sway them? I, I think in, in you know, there's no doubt in my mind that you know, acute catastrophic asphyxiating event is you know, repeated. Two hundred times, I think it was. Stevens added up all of the times "asphyxia," "asphyxiate," "asphyxiating" appeared in that courtroom. That's mm. it's sort of what is it? Um, A yeah, frequency bias? I think that's going to. Yeah.
0: And to, to assume that the jurors think that the term consistent with means yes, as opposed to maybe. Yes, that's right. And exactly. not bother to clarify it. Y- yes, and yeah. it, it,
8: it's interesting. You know. I think sometimes, and certainly this is the case, imagine, well, with everybody, you know, the, the meanings that we have inside our own heads, they seem so natural, they seem so inborn. It's very hard to, to believe that other people have completely different um, understandings. But, you know, if I were to, a mundane example, what do you understand by instep? What part of the foot is the instep? Mm. Is it the top part of the foot? Under part of the foot, under the for me in my head. I don't think I've ever thought about those. The side? <laughs> part between the toes and the yeah, top, top and the that. bottom. Mm, yeah, there are three meanings out there, and all dictionaries privilege you know all three. Oh, and I think we've talked about lucked out on this program. Yeah, before. that always
0: confuses me. Yeah, yeah,
8: so that's a contronym. So half the population understand if I'm if I lucked out, I'm really a really lucky position. Others will understand in an unlucky position. And what is it? Both. You know, it's a contronym, a word that is its own opposite. So best to avoid until it settles (laughs) down and the bad meaning will dominate. There's no doubt in my mind. Mm.
1: And you say best to avoid, like, I guess, going back to the
8: courtroom. What do you think could be done to kind of minimise this confusion? Well, I think Stephen would cheerfully say just avoid. Well, you know, his point is, too, from the medical perspective, it's not a diagnosis. And in fact, all all around the world, medicos, as I understand it, have different, understandings of asphyxia but they all agree it's not a diagnosis Stephen puts it it's not something you can point to and diagnose so it's not helpful Uh, just drop it altogether. in fact I found when I was looking at transcripts in the Old Bailey I was actually looking at the the swear words over time and the Old Bailey transcripts are fantastic for swear words but there was asphyxia many times and there was one doctor that said quite clearly in early 1800s I do not like the term asphyxia so it's been problematic for a long long time Consistent with it feels
2: too good to throw away entirely. Yes. Like it does have application, doesn't it?
8: It does, but, you know, while it's... Well, Maybe like all, not in a courtroom. You, all words have have um, multiple meanings, of course, and context will determine it. But, um, and, yes, you could make clear that what you mean by that term asphyxia, that this is just one possibility of a number. Yeah. But... You know, is it helpful really? And because it's, it is an everyday word, it just slips out. Because
2: if it's not consistent, it's ruled out entirely. Mm.
8: Yes. But if point. it is
2: consistent, it's not saying it is ruled in entirely. It's yeah. just
8: that's possible. a really good point. Exactly, it's quite clear when it's in the negative. Mm. Yeah, and and then they <laughs> these are sort of not inconsistent with anything. You think, Hang on, mm-hmm. two negatives there. You know, that's that's where it gets really really awkward. And yeah. the stakes are so extraordinarily high. That's right. Yes, there's a you know I when Stephen and I talked about this recently at a, a forensic um, science conference and so I had a, two slides with sort of flies hovering around because it 's one of my favorite definitions of word meanings and Dwight Bollinger back in the 1980s, he talked about meanings that are central and you know um, and then he talked about meanings that are central but peripheral and then he talked about meanings that hover on the outside like a pack of hungry flies mm. and you know what he meant that words aren 't these tight little bundles of form and meaning that we pretend they are, that we think of them. People are already saying what's the true meaning of what, you know, as if they're set in stone, as if they're like math symbols, but they're not, they yeah. slip around. And I think we have to, you know, if if we're going to rely on the wisdom of the crowd, then we've got to realise that the crowd can have, you know, vastly different understandings.
2: If a negative meeting dominates, do you have any advice or thoughts on how to disarm the potency of a, a negative attribution to a meaning that might
8: be—it's f- very, very hard because people just simply will not risk being misunderstood, so they'll usually avoid the term um, if it starts to take on negative senses, and that negative can be in a vast array of different things. But you know, the li- linguistic evidence is really compelling, and the psycholinguistic evidence that that will dominate, so people will avoid it. Yes, you could try, and I mean, it's the same problem, I suppose, as reclaiming words, and you know that. Um, it can be done.
2: Because you're accused of something in a trial and then you're suddenly getting into the weeds of semantics and it just doesn't even look good
8: even no. <laughs> when you're fighting on the no, term. It's a, yes, that's right. And, look, I can understand, lawyers, that, you know, as soon as you admit to the slippery nature of word meanings, you know, it's all down, down the slippery mm-hmm. slope, isn't it, really? Cause, mm. But in something like asphyxia, there is there's, there's no point in having it there. It it, it doesn't add anything medically. As far, well, this it set the waters. This case, this
0: you know, now that it's been overturned, do you think it will set a precedent with the way language is used?
8: I like to think it would, but uh, you know, in fact, you know, in fact, my my colleague Nick Enfield has this beautiful quote where he talks about um, languages to humans as water is to fish. I think the <laughs> fact that we're just in in language, it often gets overlooked, and linguistic evidence in a courtroom is often not taken as real evidence mm. because it's language. It's everyone knows about language.
2: Do you have a personal bias as to whether if a meaning is vague and it has a literal application in the minds of lawyers and me- medical professionals but it's, it gets a bit woolly in the minds of jurors, are you leaning towards, well, you don't fight it, just accept that yes. the, the jurors have a view and maybe uh, treat the world as it is, not as it should be? Yes,
8: yes i think that's right i think um, yeah that that legal people and, and and doctors and you know pathologists all have to you know rethink their understanding of certain words and and yeah indeed talk about it if necessary but i don't think you can assume that just by pointing out that consistent with really means one of a number of things that that's going to do the trick really because mm. I, I just think it just slips through mm. you know, and and shapes your mind and your thinking
2: well, Kate Burrage has written the article for The Conversation. It's called The Words That Helped Wrongly
8: Convict Kathleen Folbig. And your co-author? Stephen Courtney. yes. He's a, a colleague uh, and a, the forensic pathologist, well, one of the many. All
2: right, brilliant case. stuff. Uh, Kate, thanks very much.
8: My pleasure. Thank you. Triple R. <laughs>
2: You best not miss. It's the notorious catchphrase <laughs> from our recent book reveal for you,
6: <laughs> You're just inventing catchphrases now. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I'm here to talk about a memoir, which I don't do a lot of on here, but, mm. you know, mixing it up. Um, I'm here to talk about Michael K. Williams' um, book, a Scen- Scenes From My Life, A Memoir. Um, he was in the process, if you if you are aware, he, he did unfortunately pass away in 2021 from a, uh, a drug overdose. And um, he um, was in the process of and had almost finished his memoir when he passed away. Um, and so this book... Is essentially um, detailing his life right up until the moment he he passes. It's it ends. Um Where do we know Michael K. Williams? The wire, okay. the wire. He's Omar. You hear Omar coming, and that is, and he, you know, a man's got to have a code. You know, he was in um, Boardwalk Empire. He was in. Um, well, I love him in Community. He's only in like four episodes in Community. He's the biology teacher okay. in Community. I think Omar I might be him. Barack Obama's favorite TV
2: character of yes, all time.
6: Yes, yes. Cool. He talks about that in this book right. um, as well. So he talks about Obama and the Obama influence. Um, things like that but I'm getting ahead of myself so (laughs) this book details his whole life um and I picked up the audiobook uh from the library um just really spontaneously picked it up and it was it is one of the books that I have just not been able to stop thinking about this year so I'm gonna be really honest he doesn't mention The Wire really until the end of Chapter 10. So the first 10 chapters, there's no Omar, all right? Just if you're a Wire fan, you're going in like I did for The Wire. It's not present for the first 10 chapters, and Omar's gone by like Chapter 14. So because, you know, it's only five years. It's a five-season show. He was, he was 54 when he died, so it's like five years of his life versus the rest of his life. But I forgot that that was why I picked up the book. I got to the end of chapter ten, and he mentioned going for the like screen test for Omar, and I was like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, that's right." I forgot. I forgot that mm. was going to be happening because his life is fascinating, um, and the way that he writes, he does have a ghostwriter whose name. Hang on, I wrote it down so that I wouldn't forget. Um, but I think I have forgotten. John uh, Stenfeld.
1: Yes, thank you. Nice. Yes,
6: John Stenfeld. Um, I felt like his work was mostly structural. It really does, if you've heard interviews with Michael K. Williams, he's very reflective. He is very compassionate. Um, if you see him, he also does, a, he did a great show on um, the Vice TV channel about um, addicts or, or like the drug trade in, in various parts of the world. And so you see him interviewing people and you hear his voice very distinctly there. And I feel that, um, Stenfeld's work was mostly structural. So the book starts with, um, Michael's just gotten out of rehab. He has, he's 22, just out of rehab, uh, for the first time. Um, and he is obsessed with Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation. And there's a film clip where everyone kind of dances in sync and he, um, Is just obsessed with it so much that he tapes it off of MTV and just does the dance sequence over and over again. (laughs) Then he does it in front of his friends and his friends are like, you duffer, you need to actually have your back to the TV screen because you're doing all the moves backwards. (laughs) Um, And it's really this like real heartwarming thing. But that's dance and that obsession with dance leads him um, to becoming – a key part of the house dance mu- music scene in, in New York um, leads him to, he's self-taught as a dancer, leads him to um, working and spending all of this time as a choreographer. He choreo- he does work with George Michael, Madonna, cool. all of these people. Um, uh, he did the film clip for 100% Pure Love and you can actually like see him in that as well. Mm. And he, so he did all of these things and it was so fascinating that i actually forgot that he that the reason why i picked up the book so sternfeld's work he starts with the janet jackson as this like hook of representation of young um there's a young black man in the film clip and and williams talks about how oh this was the first time i saw a young black man and it really resonated with me in pop culture in this way And then he goes back to his childhood and he details his childhood and it is very, very moving. Um, He has suffered extreme trauma and abuse at the hands of many people. And the thing that, um, that sets this book apart from other memoirs that may detail trauma um, is that he is just so empathetic and understanding of the complexities of humanity. So there's this example. His mum. His mum is this ever forceful presence in his life. Um, she was um, Bahamian, and so she's. So he's a, a like a first gen kid really his mum grew up in Bahamas and traveled by herself to New York City to make a new life for herself um it was incredibly independent um but she also was raised with certain like expectations um around race and class that she then shares and teaches to Michael so he's quite a dark-skinned man And he recounts how his mother made him feel ugly as a child because of that, and she used skin-bleaching moisturiser on him, which is just Mm. horrific. And he talks about how that impacted his personal, um, like, views of himself and how, you know, it was hard to work in TV at first because of these things. Um, But then she also... He also recounts how she ran um, community childcare because they were in um, the projects or commission flats um, so that it's free and subsidised so that families that have young children, they might be 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds with families now, she can, like, support people so they can, like, get like move up in the world and, and get, find employment and money. Um, she also supported him during his drug addictions and got him into rehab and, you know... He never sugarcoats how she treated him but he recounts the good and the bad and presents what is a really balanced portrait of his mother um, and all the other people in his life. So no one is evil. No one is an angel. Um, People are trying their best. So, like, his mother was trying her best. She did the wrong thing many, many times but he does discuss her in um, quite an empathetic way You know, like there's a moment where he's in rehab um, and he calls her and he's like, I just want to come home. I really miss you. And she's like, yep, come home. And he actually ends up to get out of rehab. He ends up jumping out of a second story window, which is very omar adjacents if you remember that scene um, but the thing that i really wanted to talk about was that i listened to it as an audiobook so I was going to ask. yeah so this is this is the big thing so michael k williams has a very distinctive he has a beautiful voice um, so
2: he recorded it uh, before no, oh, no. so this is
6: read by someone else okay? Oh, okay and everyone's like oh oh it's someone else oh. But it's read by an actor, Dion Graham, who has done a number of audiobooks, and he's also um, in The Wire as well. Mm. He was in The Wire for like eight episodes, and you would recognise he's got one of those. He's like a a, um, a player, background player kind of. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah, him. But he is incredible. The emotion in his voice when he talks about Um, the experiences that uh, Williams goes through. There's a scene where uh, Williams is recounting violence in um, particularly uh, black-on-black violence and he's in a movie theatre and someone is fatally shot Mm. and it's a complete um, freak event Um, and Williams writes about that with incredible emotion and... And Dion Graham's voice is so incredibly powerful that I actually forgot what Williams's voice was like in real life because I just started to think of him. Like Dion Graham, his voice was Michael K. Williams while I was listening to this book. It was
0: what a great review. Mm. It
6: was, it was so powerful. Like his voice would crack with the emotion. It was really, really powerful. Um, and that's the biggest thing that that i um i take away from from this book is that yes the why was this huge part of his life but then after the why he became he used his fame um for good and became a real prison abolitionist so he began to work with various not-for-profits and created his own around community he realizes that he left his community he left the projects um and that was everyone's goal is to like Get out, mm. and so he's like, No, I want to create a space and come back in. And so he studied his own not for profit for young people. Um, and he worked with these larger groups to really uh, push for changes to the justice system. And so the last third of the book really recounts those experiences of like going to the White House, meeting Obama, doing all of these things to create like social change. And it is such beautiful writing and so powerful, which made it all the more heartbreaking to know that he passed away. Mm. Um, but it was, it's incredible, incredible book. So there you go. It came out in August of this year and it, it came out to like little to in, no. Of last fan- year? No, well, I, the audiobook it's, it's, I don't think it came out in Australia until this year. Right. And the audiobook was August.
2: Okay. But
6: uh, I hadn't heard of it. So <laughs> it was, um, Really quite surprising mm. to me mm. that it came with such little fanfare.
2: Yes. Uh, well, uh, uh, from what I can gather, it's one of the New York Times books of the year, late last year. Mm. And so, yeah, now it's available. What a great find.
6: Yeah. Thanks, Library.
2: Yeah, exactly. Mm. <laughs> Scenes from My Life by Michael K. Williams. Brilliant. Fee Wright, thank you. Thank you.
4: Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R.
2: Anxiety-inducing sting means we get to catch up with our Friday funny bugger, the stupid old Matt Stewart. Morning, Matt.
3: Morning. How's it going?
4: We're
2: Well, I reckon, as if I can speak on everyone's behalf for purposes of efficiency.
3: Yes. Uh, I think as the, the one man on the panel, I think that's right. Yeah, <laughs> oh,
2: let's go around the group yeah. and find out individually. Look, uh, I'm okay. Uh, Oz Music t-shirt that was yesterday.
3: Yes, what a day. And I realised that uh, well into the day when I was uh, already wearing... And Eagle's of death metal shirt. (laughs) um, What a faux pas that was. (laughs) What a blow. Uh, Yeah, pretty brutal. What's
2: the goss in your world?
3: I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ageing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have been doing much of that. And it really hit home this week when, um, you know, I keep thinking that I'm still a youth. Mm. But this week uh, my podcast had a work experience kid.
2: (laughs) Yikes. Yeah.
3: And they were about, you know, 22 years younger than me, and it was hard to (laughs) pretend any longer um, that I am not a middle-aged man. Kudos
0: to you on getting a work experience, kid, though. That means your podcast is legit.
3: Yeah, I guess I did feel weird. Mm. Uh, They just sat quietly in the corner while we recorded for about five hours. It was was a bit (laughs) odd, really. Surely Um, you
1: get them editing something.
3: That's what I would have liked to have done, yes. But no, they... Refused? Um, they refused. Just they refused.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you know we, we
3: were trying so hard to be cool uh, to them that it was just like, oh, no, okay, um, no worries. But um, I, they reminded me a bit of me when I was, you know, 16 and uh, about to do work experience because you know, they were a creative kid, a bit shy. Probably, I don't know how they, they got connected to us. They they did a day with the project the day before, so you know, similar sort of size media <laughs> empires, and, um, and and yeah, I just thought back to when I was their age. I was also creative, pretty shy. So for work experience, I went to a hose company, yeah. <laughs> um, and that was sort of where my uh, family because you're a bong enthusiast. <laughs> Well, I mean, I wish I was. Um, I wish I was. Maybe we
1: would have got more out of the experience. This is just
3: what, like, adults in Marabyn in the nineties. This is what they thought. Everything they just thought. How do we? Um, what's your dreams? Okay, how can we make that into a job? <laughs> yeah. And it was. And your a...
0: dream was hose related.
3: I well, I wanted to be a writer or a creative in some way, and. Uh, Dad's brother worked at this hose company, and he said you'll get a well-rounded sort of experience there. A couple of days in the factory, uh, a couple of days with the sales team, and then for your creative stuff, you can work with marketing for a bit. <laughs> <sighs> and I think that feels right, doesn't it?
2: Well, it's a big contrast to your work experience, kid. What's with this project the day earlier? Stupid old. Or do, l- 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 the name of your podcast is
3: Do Go On. Do yeah, Go
2: On. That's right. And uh, what's this smorgasbord work experience? I, d- I don't know. Tappers. Oh, the
3: other, the, I, I mean, I was pretty jealous to be honest. But um, imagine learning off uh, a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I felt I'm like I don't know whether to be jealous or, or feel sorry for you <laughs> that this is uh, your so called work experience. But yeah, I um, I yeah, I I, th- I got paid. I don't know if that... Did you guys oh, work do work experience? experience? Oh,
0: no. No, I didn't get paid. Well, thought... You
2: were working for a family company, weren't you, basically?
3: Yeah, that, but I, there was some legal requirement. I thought that we had to get paid 10 bucks a day. There was. Yeah. Right.
1: Oh, maybe I did. But do. that's gone
3: now, apparently. This kid doesn't get that.
1: I remember I didn't get paid, but they provided lunch.
3: Oh, that's nice. Yeah, oh, so
1: they're like, well, "We're we're not going to pay you, $10 but $10 we got worth? you lunch every day." Yeah, so you're like, "Okay, thank
3: well, you." Well, well, my host company was doing pretty well, so uh, <laughs> they could afford cash.
2: <laughs> so they're wor- they're working, they're doing work experience for, and observing you do a podcast for five hours. And is that put pressure on them to I don't know, laugh?
3: Well, yeah, I, I think uh, we cut that off at of the past by saying, "Please don't uh, make any noise." Mm. Oh, sure. I see, but that was mainly because I I couldn't stand. I'm not laughing. Yeah.
4: That's <laughs> right, right. Before we started
3: recording, I said to her, hey, do you, do you want me to, do you mind if I mention you on the show that you're here? Just, you know, and she said, please don't mention <gasps> me.
4: <laughs> really? <laughs>
3: <laughs> Please don't. Um, I don't. I don't want know the project
0: <laughs> this. was my last project.
4: Yeah,
3: exactly. Yeah, that was pretty brutal, to be honest. Uh, Man, I was trying so hard. It was embarrassing it. How, did you, how hard I was trying. What
0: are some hooks you tried to get in with the the young
4: the girl? I said,
3: people? oh, what uh, what kind of music have you been listening to? Um, yeah, what, uh, what do you got? Swift? Swift. Uh, I'm like, yeah. I'm struggling. I'm like, ah. I'm remembering she's she was born in the 80s, yeah. you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, well, that's the youngest think of should have should have called you, Mon. You could have hooked me up. Yeah,
0: um, yeah, maybe. Sure. I was sweating. Yeah, it'd
3: sw- be hard. What, what did you do for experience?
0: Oh, I was with a barrister. Oh, oh my no god. No interest. It was just a friend, a family friend of a friend. I like most things. I left it to the last minute, and was like, "Oh, I reckon Tony will help you out." And then I just hung out with Tony for a week, and he he was representing people trying to get like out of parking infringements or okay. something. So maybe not parking infringements, but. <laughs> Not that, not that juicy, and it just—I found it really, really boring. My favorite part was being in the city and getting going out for lunch in the city. Yes, his, that was the coolest bit. Oh
3: man, that was so fun. When I was out with the sales reps, and we mm. got to go to like a cafe. I'm like, what? Well, I feel like an adult <laughs> yeah. now. I can order anything. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a sandwich, please. <laughs> what have you, Daniel?
2: I tried to do it here. And uh, oh, really? yeah, yeah. Dave O'Neill said it. it is too weird having a child around. <laughs> My sister
0: did work experience at Triple R. That's oh. how I first heard it existed. Wow! Yeah, back when it was at Fitzroy.
3: Oh, cool! So yeah. it's tra- and now I imagine you'd have people in every now and then. Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah. not, have, not think, us personally.
0: No, not on the sh- not on breakfast. It's absolutely not. <laughs> um, but I think we've even got some hanging around the station this week.
3: Yeah,
2: cool. But I, yeah, I did it at a movie company, a film distribution company, and I walked in wearing, a, I think, a South Park tie. And then the boss called me into his office and made me rip off the tie because it wasn't one of their films. Oh, <laughs> oh. Well,
1: what are so you doing
2: wearing a tie?
3: Oh,
1: not dressed for the job he
3: wants. He yeah. yeah. it, <laughs> it is. It's funny how adults care about what a, a kid. It's like as if you're a, actually representing the company. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. this is a bad look for us. Oh. Oh. I, I, when I was uh, about sixteen, I was working a, as a trolley boy at a supermarket. And uh, I was trying to grow a little goatee. Oh. And uh, the boss, it was Saturday afternoon, right in the, on the front end floor of the supermarket, the boss comes past and he sees me. He's obviously having a bad day. And he goes, what's that on your face? Really <laughs> loud. And I'm like, oh, my God. I'm trying a, go- a goatee. <laughs> and he anyway, was, get rid of it. Go home, go home now.
2: Go
4: home now?
3: Go home now. You can't work like that. And I'm like, oh, my God. So I went and I'm... And I'm Feeling awful, embarrassed at everything, and I'm like, I, I don't want to go home and do it. So I went and bought the cheapest, you know, no. home brand two blade razors. Mm. Went downstairs to the locker room and dry shaved it off. Oh, no. <laughs> so I came back. I would have had blood on my face, and he, I didn't see him again. I, he wasn't. He, he I don't, didn't
0: even work there. He
3: moved on. Yeah. Who was that man? <laughs>
0: As a stranger.
3: But, like, as if that, that probably represented uh, the supermarket as, as badly as wearing a South Park tie. Yeah. <laughs> but,
2: but now, does that have any association? Because now you're follically hefty.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never shaved again. <laughs>
4: exactly.
3: <laughs> I said, yeah, no, that was... It was so funny. It's funny to think of a time where that mattered as well. Mm. Like, now, you'd see lawyers would rock up with three-day growth. With it doesn't really matter.
0: Yeah,
3: some. But what about Bill. <laughs> Well, oh, no,
0: Tony. Tony. Tony.
3: Yeah, clean
2: shaven. Clean shaven. Like, seriously, He's thank old you school Tony. <laughs>
3: yeah. He How doesn't wear t- any cartoon <laughs> tyres, does he?
2: How was the trolley gig? Did you hit any cars? or?
3: Oh, uh, never officially, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think normally those trolleys had already hit those cars when yeah. I got there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, the CCTV uh, footage wasn't as... Um, Elaborate back then. <laughs> my favourite part of that job was um, just wandering the streets because you, you're outside and you're by yourself and you're 16. So were, I, in my head I always had this thought, I'm just going to wander the suburb of Moorabbin. Beautiful place mm. if uh, you haven't been. <laughs> Check it out. Uh, and I'm like, if, if anyone ever sees me, which they never did, I'd be like, oh, uh, a customer told me there was a trolley up on uh, just off South Road. Uh, about about f- four K's away, so I thought I'd go and get it. Oh did you oh, you wanted me to tell you, I didn't realise. Right. So I had this whole thing in my head and I just wandered the streets. It was great. Getting it was paid a great for time long to walks. be alive. To
4: you, just, getting
3: paid yeah, getting oh yeah. <laughs> Listen to get this on, on uh my headphones and um yeah. No, I I think I was definitely earning my twelve dollars an hour mm, for sure. But,
2: but you would have got hot tips, wouldn't you? People like to do that. Oh yeah,
3: they do, yeah. And uh, I think I used that one hot tip. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not, until I've passed that on, the tip hasn't been exhausted, you mm. know what I mean?
2: Yeah, you remind me, there are breweries in Moorabbin now, aren't there? Oh, like, yeah,
3: Moorabbin's changed. Yeah. <laughs> it is funny, like I used to have from Morabin and, and depending who it was, people were like, No. Oh. And look look, look how far you've come. That's <laughs> right. But now they're like, ooh, oh, yeah. la-di-da. Is there
2: AMF Bowling on the highway? Yeah, yeah, AMF
3: Bowling was like always there what a spot and I, <laughs> I man i had some fond memories there but i never um yeah i, I actually tried to move back there and i couldn't afford to
4: which
3: was <gasps> real grim i did a, a gig in a in the uh, lawn bowls club and the crowd it was just like i'm like who are these people it really it looked like i was in two rack or something dead wow. yeah like everyone they all had like newish clothes and Hair done and Boat they've shoes. all been
2: priced out of zone one. Yeah,
3: that's right. I really think they were the children of Turak. I mean, <laughs> like, we Marabbin. can't afford Turak anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're out of They're going to be just
2: pushed to Edith Fail. Come
3: on. <laughs> I think my funniest advice as a kid, I, I don't know if you got advice like this, but everything was oh, you want to do something interesting? This is your hobby. How do we turn that into something you can make money out of when you're older? And I uh, at at one point uh, in primary school, I really like drawing, and uh, a teacher was talking to kids about you know wh- what careers they might want, and I think you know about the age of eight is when you should be thinking about <laughs> locking into a career, um, and so I, I said oh, I love drawing, and the teacher said, "Great, I know the career for you: architecture. They draw." Uh-huh. It's like, you, you, is there a duller version of, <laughs> of drawing <laughs> than like a grid of a house? Yes. And it just feels like that. That's that's the kind of advice I could. You know, you go, oh, what do you want to get into? Radio? What about radiographer? <laughs> uh, <laughs> a yes. uh, you like singing? Oh, birds like singing. What about a veterinarian? <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, writer. Uh, why write books when you can balance books? <laughs> Accountant, there you go. It's very tenuous, how? Huh? Yeah.
2: Uh, so, if we want to see Matt Stewart, we can follow you online at Matt Stewart Comedy. What about you going? What are you up to? Are you taking any more students?
3: Oh uh, yeah! If uh, if you want to apply for uh, the position, we did it for one day. Now we think we could do a full month. Yeah, um, exactly. We've got a l- we've got a lot of uh, learnings to teach. And, exactly. Um, we'll definitely push you away from the podcasting world. And you've uh, got
2: more bitterness to feel about their youth. Yes. Yeah. that's Right. Oh my god! I'm so bitter. That's you. We'll talk soon.
3: Triple R.
0: Thanks for listening to a podcast of the best bits of Breakfasters, the Monday to Friday breakfast show broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia. Feel free to get in touch with us via Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or via the Triple R website.